Welcome to Coffee Table Mythos. I'm Eliza. And I'm Leah. Grab your favorite beverage and let's talk myths. What you drinking? I'm drinking a kind of new flavor to us at least, bang, called Key Lime Pie. The very first time I had it, it did taste like Key Lime Pie. Mm -hmm. Now it kind of just tastes like Energy Sprite to me, which isn't awful, but... Yeah, this one for some reason tastes more like key lime pie than usual. Mm. But do you remember? What did we have this morning coffee-wise? High voltage! Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Bones Coffee Company, high voltage. It was pretty good. It tasted like coffee. So is that supposed to be like extra caffeine or... Yeah. I think it's a lighter roast, which is crazy because you'd think the dark roast would have higher caffeine content, but mm. usually it's actually the opposite. Mm, okay. But it was smooth. Anyway, so we are on Greek week. For those of you who celebrate Easter or any kind of spring festival, happy spring festival. This week, I decided to study Hephaestus. He is the Greek god of blacksmiths, metalworking, carpenters, craftsmen, artisans, sculptors, metallurgy, fire, and volcanoes. (laughs) That's a lot. It's a lot. His Roman counterpart was Vulcan. Okay. And he's either the son of Zeus and Hera or Hera's Parthenogenous child. So she had him all by herself, is what that means. Like Typhon. Right. So he was cast off of Mount Olympus for his deformity or, in another account, by Zeus for protecting Hera from Zeus's advances. We'll get into that later. Zeus likes to yeet people off of Mount Olympus. He likes to yeet people in general. True. We'll, we'll get to that. So, the symbols of Hephaestus are the hammer, anvil, and tongs. I think there's also more. I instinctively wanted to be like, click, 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 with some tongs, but I do not have any tongs in my hands. You have your your hands in a crab claw right now. I do. So, click, click, click. (laughs) All right. So, Hephaestus made all of the weapons of the gods in Olympus and was worshipped in the manufacturing and industrial centers of Greece particularly in Athens. His epithets include... I am not going to say the Greek versions. That's fine. You went into the whole thing of trying to find yours, but I'm like, I'm not even going to try because I won't mess it up. So I'm going to just tell you what they mean. Okay. Um, Lame one, Mm -hmm. the halting, coppersmith, renowned artificer, Mm. shrewd or crafty, or of many devices. Also, acnean owing to his workshop being supposedly located below Mount Aetna. Okay. He also has a symbol of guard dogs, donkey, crane, and fennel. Because fennel actually transports fire pretty well. Oh, like if you were taking it from, like, a starter source to... Yes. That's very interesting. That is why fennel is one of his symbols. I wonder if it's because of its oil content. It's possible. I don't know anything about fennel. I just (laughs) know that that's what it said, so... (laughs) That's fair. Hephaestus had his own palace on Olympus, which contains his workshop with an anvil and 20 bellows that worked at his bidding. He crafted much of the equipment of the gods and almost any finely wrought metalwork imbued with powers that appears in Greek myths is said to have been forged by Hephaestus. Some of his creations include Hermes' winged helmet and sandals, Aegis' breastplate, mm-hmm. Aphrodite's famed girdle, mm-hmm. Agamemnon's staff of office, Achilles' armor, Diomedes' cuirass, Heracles' bronze clappers, which is a percussion instrument. I had no idea until I read that. (laughs) Helios' chariot, the shoulder of Pelops, 
Eros's bow and arrows, and he built automatons, which are self-operating machines of metal to work for him. That included tripods that walked to and from Mount Olympus with goods. And he also gave blinded Orion, his apprentice, Kedalion, as a guide. He also created all the thrones in Mount Olympus, and in Homeric poems, it was noted that Hephaestus had a special power to produce motion, and he also made the gold and silver lions and dogs at the entrance of the palace of Alcinous, so they could bite invaders. Greeks maintain an animistic idea that statues are in some sense alive. Oh, like gargoyles? Yes. That's kind of neat. Yes. So Hephaestus's origin varies. So according to Hesiod in his Theogony, Hera gave birth to Hephaestus as revenge for Zeus giving birth to Athena without her. Some stories, Athena burst from Zeus's skull. Others, she was the result of Zeus laying with Metis, or devouring Metis, which was a titan. So Hera birthed Hephaestus all by herself. They need marriage counseling. Seriously. According to Homer in the Iliad, he mentions Hera as Hephaestus' mother, but there is not a whole lot of evidence of Zeus being the father, but it is implied. Hmm. According to Pseudo-Apollodorus in the Bibliotheca, Hera gave birth to Hephaestus alone. Several texts of later writings follow Hesiod's account according to Attic vase painters, and Hephaestus was present at the birth of Athena and wielded the axe that split Zeus's head to free her. Ew. Yeah. I don't like head wounds. I know. Following this, there are two camps on how Hephaestus fell from Olympus. Fell. Yeeted. There is a difference. <laughs> <laughs> One is where Hera ejected Hephaestus from the heavens for being shriveled of foot, where he landed in the ocean and was raised by Thetis, mother of Achilles, and the oceanid Euronymy. Another account has Hephaestus attempting to rescue Hera from Zeus's advances and resulted in Zeus flinging him from the heavens. Hephaestus fell for a full day and landed on the island of Lemnos, where he was cared for and taught to become a master craftsman by the Cynicians, ancient tribe native to the island. And some later wrote that the fall was the reason for Hephaestus's lameness as opposed to being lame from birth. Have no fear, however, Hephaestus finds his way back to Olympus. If following the first reason of his exile, it was shown that he took revenge on Hera by building a golden throne that did not allow her to stand up upon sitting on it. Other gods begged Hephaestus to return to Olympus to free her, but he was just like, I have no mother. Hera who? Finally, Dionysus shows up and intoxicates Hephaestus with wine. He plops drunk Hephaestus on a donkey and travels back to Olympus with him accompanied by revelers. As a result of capturing Hera, Hephaestus and this virgin requested to be married to Aphrodite at, as his price for freeing Hera. Regardless of their marriage, Aphrodite went on to have many affairs, both god and man alike, and most famously with Ares. Now I also want to note that there's a famed expert on Greek myths, Robert Graves, that pointed out that in many ancient tribes in both West Africa and Scandinavia, the village blacksmith was often deliberately made lame to not be able to offer their services to a rival village. And that is a belief on why that kind of like crossed over into Hephaestus. That makes sense. Foot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it is well documented in Book 8 of Homer's Odyssey that Hephaestus was told by Helios of the affair between Aphrodite and Ares. Right. Then he went and spied on the lovers himself. And then he decided to capture them the next time by designing an invisible net of chains around his bed. 
This entwined Aphrodite and Ares, and Hephaestus called on the other Olympian gods to witness the naked couple entwined. And laugh, specifically. You know, it's funny because when I was reading this story, it didn't specify they were having an affair in his bed. So, like, because Helio saw them, my brain's like, oh, they're having Sex sexy wherever. time out in the woods. Yeah. Or, like, somewhere secret, not, like, in this guy's house. Yeah. And on his bed. Yeah. Yeah. Something, you know, they're out in the woods, so he's got this net. He's going to, like, drop it on him from the treetops. <laughs> right. And that's not what it was. And it this was... is why it's very important when you're writing a book to set the scene. <laughs> right. Give me, give me more details, please. So the gods laughed, and when finally released, Ares fled to Thrace, and Aphrodite fled to Paphos, Cyprus. There's also a version I read that mentioned Poseidon persuaded Hephaestus to free Ares and Aphrodite by saying either Ares would pay the adulterer's fee or Poseidon would himself. And you get into that in your... A little bit. A little bit. So, warning for sexual abuse and rape. If you don't want to listen to it, like, skip the next, I don't know, 15 seconds or so. So, in Attic mythology, Hephaestus once attempted to rape Athena. As she repelled Hephaestus, his semen splashed onto Athena's leg, and she wiped it onto the ground, impregnating Gaia, and gave birth to Erichthonius, whom was adopted by Athena as her own. <sighs> In the Odyssey, Hephaestus states he will return Aphrodite to her father and demanded back his bride price. And there are many versions where Zeus did not return the dowry, and in some, it is stated Aphrodite charmed her way back into Hephaestus' good graces. It was mentioned in my research that it is possible Eros is the son of Aphrodite and Hephaestus, if Virgil was serious, but other versions claim Eros was actually the son of Ares and passed off as Hephaestus' own son. There's a lot of tea. We'll get into <laughs> the second part. Yeah. Hephaestus was represented in the, the bronze house of Athena. At Sparta. In Athens, there is a famous statue of Hephaestus by Alcamenes, where Hephaestus's lameness was only subtly portrayed. He had almost no cults except in Athens, and the Greeks frequently placed dwarf-like statues of Hephaestus near their hearths, and these were the oldest of his representations, according to what I was reading. Like, I'm not saying that that was, like, the end-all be-all, but that's all I could find. He was often depicted in later Grecian art as a vigorous man with a beard. With vigorous. Vigorous. With a hammer or some crafting tool, an oval cap, and the chiton, which is a tunic. His domain over fire originates in Homer's Iliad, where he uses flames to dry the waters of Gamandrus River and force its homonym deity, whom was attacking Achilles, to retreat. In the Trojan War, he is sided with the Greeks, but was also worshipped by the Trojans, his favorite place in the mortal world was the island of Lemnos, dwelling among the Scythians. He also frequented other volcanic islands such as Lipara, Herrera, Imbros, and Sicily. In other myths, Hephaestus built himself a wheeled chair or chariot to move around. In the Iliad, he built 20 bronze-wheeled tripods to move around. That's oh. a lot. Yeah. Some believe the lameness or misshapen appearance represents peripheral neuropathy and skin cancer, resulting from arsenicosis caused by arsenic exposure from metalworking. Now get this. And the Bronze Age smiths would add arsenic to copper to make harder arsenical bronze, especially when tin was scarce. 
Many blacksmiths would have suffered from chronic arsenic poisoning by their work, and since Hephaestus was an Iron Age smith and not Bronze Age, the connection is not always made. A lot of smiths do more than just one type of work. Okay, so I'm just gonna say it. He had a lot of kids with other girls. Oh, snap. Other than Aphrodite. Like, he didn't really have any kids that Aphrodite. He had a lot of kids with, like, other beings. Okay. That made, like metalworking persons that were both of, like, immortal and mortal alike. When I was reading about him, a lot of people were referring to him as, like, being kind of prude. And, like, he's all about, you know, not cheating on people. Yet he was having all these different babies. Right. I have not studied Hephaestus, but the way it was coming across in my research was, like, oh, he was the wounded party. But apparently not, if he's got a bunch of kids. Yeah, he's got a bunch of kids. And, like, the other thing with him, there's another version of the Athena story where, from my understanding, he marries Athena, and when they go to consummate the marriage, that's when Athena pushes him away and Gaia gets impregnated and they have the baby. Awkward turtle. Seriously. So, also according to what I was reading, some people say that Athena is, like the actual soulmate of Hephaestus because they, like, represent crafters and, like, all these other things. Hmm. But I find that questionable because it's, like, all I kept thinking while I was reading that is, like, you know when you see, like, a male version and a female version of, like, a person that they like the, like, similar things, but that doesn't mean they, like, are necessarily attracted to each other. But everyone's like, you guys should get together and make babies. And it's like, that doesn't mean they should get together and make babies. Right. That's all I kept thinking about. Was, like, kids in a fucking playground being like, you guys should get together and have kids because that would be so cool. What would your kids be like? And it's like, no. At they, most, they should just be friends. Yes. <laughs> and that's all I kept thinking about that. That whole scenario. I was just like, no, this should not be happening. <laughs> like, stop. That's fair. Yeah. Anyway, so that's Hephaestus. When I was looking at it, I found it kind of crazy because he's like, supposedly he made the bronze mansions for the Olympians and everything like that. Like, he did all these things for the Olympians, but I never really read up all that much on him until this week. This week, really. I saw a YouTube video where it was saying, oh, he made the the Thunderbolts for Zeus. And I was like, that was the only place I ever saw that. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't going to say that that was something he made because... It was nowhere else that I was reading. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't just going to go, yeah, he totally did that. No, I'm not pretending. <laughs> like a, He's like a lesser known god. When you were talking about the automatons, I was thinking it'd be really cool to see him like depicted steampunk style. Yeah, yeah. Just because of like all the little gears and stuff. Right. And like the thing with him. So they were saying he was in some versions, he has a chariot or a wheeled chair. And my whole thing is, is, like, he was making these really elaborate automated beings, right, to do things. Why couldn't he make himself a weaponized leg? That's all I have to say about that. Or at least a useful leg. Like, if anybody else has watched Full Metal Alchemist, they know the whole leg thing that I'm talking about. Automail, yeah. Automail, yeah. But, like, he could have done something to mechanically strengthen to strengthen it. Yeah. Obviously, you have this, like, master craftsman over here. And then they were also saying that, like, in some versions, they're like, oh, he's ugly. And then most of the f the statues and stuff I see of him depicted, he's not ugly. He's just not as, like, godlike model as all the other o Olympians. He's just your average normal-looking guy. Yeah, like, I thought that was rude. 
Just saying. Anyway. We're still working on the art, right? I am still working on the art. It's been very difficult because I'm trying to get the right pose. Ah. And poses are, like, really fucking important. I like this pose right here. So, (laughs) if y'all want to know what she's pointing at, I have a a model body coon, and he is laying on his back with his feet up in the air. (laughs) He was sitting up, but he fell over, so he's still in the seated position, just, like, laying on his back like a possum. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I can't with you. (laughs) So, that is Hephaestus. And when we come back after this break, Leah is going to talk about Aphrodite. Yes. And we're back. I'm strapping on my bootstraps for this because I just watched her scroll on how much information you have. It's a lot. It's like 11, was it 11 pages? It's 11 or 12 pages. That's not even counting the stuff I didn't go over because a lot of this is abridged. I feel like so lacking in content (laughs) right now, but it's okay. It'll be okay. I just want to say before we start, yeah, I want to get back at you next week with Freya. So you know you're doing Freya. I am doing Freya now. Cool. After seeing that. Okay, so we've done a couple of the yearly festivals for Celtic and Norse, and I wanted to do one for Greek. And I found on one website that there's a day called Aphrodite's Day and that it's celebrated on April 1st. So I was like, perfect, because it's April now. But when I looked into it, it said that it actually fell in the ancient Greek month of Hectumion, which scholars believe is actually the third week of July to the third week of August. So we got a little bit of time. Right. But then another thing said that Wilson's Almanac says Aphrodisia which is the festival celebrating Aphrodite, took place on February 6th, in which case we're late. So regardless, we are not at the right time. Yeah, I was like, fine. Fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) We're doing Aphrodite. Exactly. (laughs) I'm going to talk about Aphrodite herself, and then there will be a little bit on how she was worshipped. Okay, cool. Let's go. Aphrodite's name comes from the ancient Greek word aphros, meaning seafoam. But modern scholars believe that the goddess predates ancient Greece and that the story of her birth came from her name and not the other way around. Her epithets include, but are not limited to, Aphrodite Pandemos, which meant Aphrodite of all people since she was worshipped widely, Aphrodite Orania, meaning heavenly Aphrodite, Aphrodite Ambologera, the postponer of old age, Aphrodite Androphonos, the killer of men, and is a reference to her thonic connections. No wonder you were drawn to this topic. <laughs> Aphrodite Anosia, the unholy, because, get this, there was a courtesan named Ias who fell in love with a man, and Ias was murdered on Aphrodite's temple steps by jealous women. That's rude. So the goddess at that temple became known as Aphrodite Anosia. And I know that some of these are probably going to be mispronounced because when I was looking up how to pronounce some of them, I couldn't find anything. Or I'd find, like, a computer-generated version, and I was like, I'm gonna just wing it. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like with a GPS. You are now at... And then it, like, tries to pronounce something, and you're like, well, that's as off as it could possibly get. Yeah. You're like, I'm just gonna turn here because I'm pretty sure that was wrong. Yeah. (laughs) There's Aphrodite Scotia, the dark one. And this name comes from her connection with the Irenes and Hecate. Mm. Aphrodite Araya, 
which means warlike Aphrodite, who was worshipped primarily in Sparta. And as I was saying, this is by no means all of her names, but it's a chunk. And she also had regional names based on where she was being worshipped. So there was like Aphrodite Cypria, the Lady of Cyprus, and Aphrodite Cytheria, the Lady of Cythera, because both of these places claim to be her birthplace, granted from different versions of the story. Right. And I can't remember which word it was, but like later on, I wrote a word once and it did that thing where it no longer looks, oh, ritually, it no longer looked real. And I wrote it once, but I've written her name, goddess knows how many times, and Aphrodite still looks like a word. So (laughs) that's interesting. So she's beautiful and enchanting and considered to be the epitome of womanhood, which causes problems throughout Greece and Mount Olympus, and we're going to get into that a little bit later. Homer and Hesiod had different origin stories. Homer states that she's the daughter of Zeus and the giantess Diona, Mm -hmm. while Hesiod said she rose from the bloody sea foam where Cronus threw Uranus's castrated genitals. Ew. And that is the story I grew up knowing. I That's grew the up... one you knew. Yeah. I didn't know that she was, like, ever referenced as Zeus's daughter. I've only ever heard of the story where... The genitals parts give, give, gives me a bad taste in my mouth. Well, it's, like, a recurring theme because Kronos did that to Uranus and then Zeus went after Kronos. Okay. And then it's yeah. the whole thing. You're right. You're not wrong. It's just, like, imagining <laughs> that in the sea... So if she's Zeus's daughter, she is one of many, many children, and therefore has many, many siblings. If she arose from the foam, then she's older than most Olympian gods. That's pretty cool. She is the goddess of beauty, fertility, love, sexual pleasure, and war, depending on the people that were worshipping her. She was also the goddess of all degrees of prostitutes. Because there were prostitutes that were just basically for sex. And then there were prostitutes that were very well trained courtesans. Very well taught in music and poetry and all that. So she was also the patron goddess of prostitutes. And for a little while, they believed that there was such a thing as sacred prostitution for people who worshipped Aphrodite. But that has come around that most scholars have believed that's not real anymore. Okay. That it was like a mistaken belief. Oh, so that like people thought it was real, but it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Kind of like how when they were originally finding a lot of graves of like Norse Vikings, they were like, oh, these are all men. They are buried with weapons. They're men. Don't get me started. I know. Don't get me started. (laughs) They realized later. Oh, look, there's all these women. Yeah. Look at that pelvis. So... Like that, but regarding prostitutes. So, Zeus, in the story I read, Zeus married off Aphrodite to Hephaestus because all of the gods, except for Artemis, Athena, and Hestia. (laughs) I'm sorry. Of all the people, gods, those are the ones you're listening. (laughs) Every god but those three, god and goddesses, they were all enchanted by Aphrodite except those three. Wow. So... He marries her off. Can you read the three that she that weren't attracted to her again? I just need to hear it. Yeah. Artemis, Athena, and Hestia. And the thing I read said it was because they were the virgin goddesses, but 
We know from other research that virgin wasn't always virgin, virgin. Mm-hmm. so I was going to leave that out. But just so you have, like, a reference of why like, I'm just they're think- thinking that's Yeah, why. I'm like, what in the fuck? Like, Why those three? Yes. Yeah. Okay, I'm good. So everybody else was, like, under her enchantments, and they were just like, we're good. So Zeus marries her off to Hephaestus, and she was very not faithful. <laughs> promiscuity was a thing because she didn't ask for this husband nope so most famously as you were saying she had a relationship with Ares but Helios saw them and told Hephaestus and Hephaestus being a blacksmith created the golden net to catch the lovers with Mm -hmm. once they were entangled in it he calls the other gods to make fun of them and even though they were embarrassed this didn't stop them because Eventually, they go on to have eight children together. Oh, shit. Phobos, Deimos, Harmonia, Adrestia, and four of the Erotes, which are, and this is not all of them, but just four of them, Pothos, Eros, Antares, and Himeros. Though there are older stories that say Eros was a primeval force born at the beginning of time, and once Aphrodite was born, he began accompanying her. Huh. So that's three stories, because you said it was also possible he was Hephaestus' child. Right. Okay. So she was very prolific in the childbearing department, and that was one of her things. She was the goddess of fertility. Mm. So if you were having problems with that, you could pray to Aphrodite. So she had a daughter, Rhodes, with Poseidon. She had Hermaphroditus with Hermes, as you probably could have gathered from the name, who was also an Erot. And he was a beautiful boy who the naiad Salmasis fell in love with and prayed to forever be united. A god answered her prayer and combined their bodies, making them the first hermaphrodite, which is where we get the word still used today. That's kind of cool. I was wondering if it was going to go to that direction. And when you just said the story, I was like, okay, that makes sense. Not born that way, but a god intervened. And granted that. Yep. Mm. She had Priapus and Patho with Dionysus. It also said that she had the graces or the charities with Dionysus, but it's also possible they were the children of Zeus and uh, Euronymy. She had Eryx with Butes the Argonaut, or could be the son of Poseidon. Mm. She had Veroe and Golgos with Adonis, and she had Aeneas with the mortal and Kisses. So to summarize lovers, we've got... Ares, Hephaestus, Poseidon, Hermes, Adonis, Anchises, and Dionysus. Adonis and Anchises being the only mortals that we know of. Hmm. Her sacred plants are the rose and the myrtle. Her symbols were dolves, dolves, were doves, oh my, doves? <laughs> I'm looking at doves and dolphins. And it's like combining. Dolves. Dolves. <laughs> I'm like listening to it. I was like, I'm trying to figure out what you're trying to say. What's a dove? Can you explain it to me? It's a monster. Her <laughs> symbols. Draw that just to draw it. That would look so funny. Sorry, go on. Her symbols were doves, dolphins, scalloped seashells, sparrows, swans, the mirror, and the girdle. Regarding the tale of Adonis. Aphrodite found Adonis as a baby and took him to Persephone and asked Persephone to raise him. Years later, when Aphrodite went to visit, she fell in love with the gorgeous Adonis, who was now a grown man. 
She asks for him back, and Persephone said no. The matter was taken to Zeus, and he decided Adonis would split his time three ways, between Persephone, Aphrodite, and whoever he wanted. And Adonis preferred his time with Aphrodite, so he chose to spend that time with her as well. A version of the story goes, Persephone sent a boar to kill him. Oh. Another version says Ares sent the boar because he was jealous of how much time Aphrodite was spending with Adonis. That sounds more on top. And a third version says that it was Artemis that sent the boar because she was doing it as revenge against Aphrodite for killing her faithful follower, Hippolytus. That's very on par for her. <laughs> Especially with the boar. Right. So, any which way, whoever sent this boar, he bleeds to death in Aphrodite's arms, and where Aphrodite's tears fell, the flower anemones grew. These two had two children together. The second time she fell for a mortal, it was the Trojan prince Anchises. She pretended to be a princess and seduced him, and when she revealed herself, she told him that he would have a noble son if he kept their affair a secret, but he wasn't able to, and so he was blinded by one of Zeus's lightning bolts. With this punishment, he then wasn't able to see his son, Aeneas, found the Roman Empire. Wow. And now the famous yet very abridged version of the tale of Paris. Oh, gods. Paris was judging who was the fairest goddess, Aphrodite, Hera, or Athena. So they all resorted to bribes. Hold up, hold up. Can you start from the beginning there? Because I'm trying to figure out what they're being um, compared for. Fairest. Most fair of all. Oh, the most so like beautiful. mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? You have three goddesses there. Mm -hmm. which, which one? And they're bribing now. Yes. Okay. So Athena offers wisdom. Hera offers power over continents. And Aphrodite promised him the most beautiful girl in the world, human girl in the world, if he were to choose her. Oh, damn. So, of course, he picks Aphrodite and she gives him... Helen. Of Troy. Famed as the face that launched a thousand ships. And this led to the beginning of the incredibly bloody Trojan War. Cool. You haven't seen that movie yet, have you? I've seen a version, but I don't think I saw the like three hour long one with uh, Brad Pitt. Aphrodite does not suffer slights. Even a little bit. Can you please explain what that means? Yeah. So if you piss her off, you in trouble. Thank you. So when she found out that Eos had slept with Ares, she cursed her to be perpetually unhappy in love. Dang, that sucks. And when she was wounded by Diomedes during the Trojan War, she cursed him so that his wife would sleep with his enemies. That's unfortunate. Yeah. There is also a long story about Psyche and Eros, but I think that's probably going to end up being its own episode. With arrows. Mm -hmm. It needs to be because I was reading up a little bit on him and I was like, I like this guy. So while researching Aphrodite, I came across the assertion that she was older than ancient Greece. That before she was Aphrodite, she was Astarte, a goddess from the current Middle East. And before Astarte, she was known as Ishtar from ancient Mesopotamia. Ah, uh, Ishtar. Okay. Mm -hmm. And before even that, she was worshipped as Inanna of Sumeria. She has always been, as all of these incarnations a goddess of love, sexuality, and war, though her individual symbols changed over time and by location. All that keeps on making me think of, every time you say love and war, is all, all's good in love and war. 
All's fair in love and war. All's fair in love and war. That's what I meant. I would not be surprised if that <laughs> originated back for, to from, Aphrodite. Yeah, that's that's all I keep thinking about as, as you're saying this stuff. I'm like, oh, that's saying again, again, again. <laughs> <laughs> so in ancient Greece, on the fourth day of Hecatumion, the festival of Aphrodisia was held. Her priests would purify her temple with the blood of a sacrificed dove, which is one of her symbols. Altars would be anointed and statues and images of the goddess would be paraded ceremoniously to a place where it would be ritually cleansed, which is where ritually stop looking like a word. The one and only time I wrote it down. <laughs> in some towns, they would bake bread in the shape of phalluses. Offerings would also be made to her in way of flowers, incense, or fire. In modern times, she is still worshipped by Hellenistic pagans and some Wiccans. Some leave offerings on their altars for her in the form of her symbols that I listed earlier. There are also prayers that can be said for her, and you can also make dedications to her. Most recently, I think I've seen people who have, like, low self-esteem mm -hmm. having her as, like, their patron deity so that they can work on that aspect of themselves. Oh! So, over the years, her likenesses have been carved in marble and painted over and over. And they were saying that if you see a statue of a half to mostly naked woman carved out of marble, most of the time it is an Aphrodite huh. or Venus, which were the, the Roman version of Aphrodite. Yeah, okay. they kind of synchronized over time. She's referenced in many written works, including the Rick Riordan's Percy Jackson series. She's a character in the webcomic Laura Olympus by Rachel Smythe. Yes. Love it. I love that comic. Even if it's not completely accurate to Greek mythology, mm -hmm. it's still really fun to read. Yeah. Can't recommend enough. Beautiful art. Mm -hmm. um, I believe they're making... A series for Netflix. Yeah. That's what it's been announced. I haven't seen it. Well, I mean, a lot of stuff's been put on hold because of the panorama. Because of the vid. Yep. So those are like kind of the more recent of things I've seen her in. And then regarding the art I did, I have two renditions of her. One's in watercolor with this special new pearlescent paint I got and one that's digital. I really love how her face turned out digitally, but I'm not super happy with the rest of it. And I've I don't know what it's going to end up ending up being. I've, I've got a plan for trying to do a background for you. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it's going to work. Mm -hmm. but like i already sketched out an idea so something will be up mm -hmm. we don't know which one it'll be yeah so that's just like the smallest bit about aphrodite she's got lots of stories the ones i touched on they're a lot more in depth so if aphrodite interests you definitely check it out she's got loads to work with there's so much for all the new listeners out there welcome because I've been noticing we've had a lot more new people kind of showing up, listening in, commenting on stuff on Reddit and Instagram and all sorts of stuff. And I wanted to do a big shout out to all of our new listeners and all the listeners that have been listening to us since day one. Thank you. I can't say that enough. Yeah, it's been qu quite a ride. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've only been recording since July of 2020. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we still got a ways to go. but. Thank you, and welcome. All right, Leah, take it away. Reminders, everybody. Make sure to check out our art for this week's entities on our Instagram at Coffee Table Mythos. Mythos. <laughs> Mythos. 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 <laughs> Coffee right, Table right. Mythos. 
if you want to share any of your own of these beings, make sure to use our hashtag coffee table mythos so that we and our followers can check them out. As always, if you have any stories or requests, please email us at coffeetablemythos at gmail.com. And remember to mention if you want a shout out of a name or handle, or if you'd like to remain anonymous. You can also find us on our Facebook page, Coffee Table Mythos. You can message us on here as well. Check out our merch on Teespring at teespring.com slash store slash coffee dash table dash mythos. Mythos. We are adding more listings as we research more beings and make more art. If you would like to donate to us, you can on anchor.fm slash coffee table mythos, or you can become a patron through patreon.com slash coffee table mythos. For right now, all donations will go to making this podcast better. Thank you so much for listening. Please give us a like, follow, subscribe, share, and review our podcast if you have the time. We are interested in what you have to say. This is Coffee Table Mythos. We'll catch you next time.